Alright guys, what's going on? It's been a little bit and I'm missing you guys, missing the podcast. Going to try to get back on the horse this week. Been a crazy busy last few weeks and got a little sickness which was really messing with the uh, voice. I tried to do a podcast earlier this week and I was hacking and coughing and I sounded like shit and didn't think it would be very fun for you guys to listen to. So going to put that concept and idea on pause. But this is a fun conversation to kind of continue our series today of entrepreneurial success and how you guys can think about playing a little bit with maybe some ideas you've got in the side. And it's right now you might not have anything, right? You might not be in an entrepreneurial mindset at all. But what we want to think about is as you guys move forward in your life, as you guys start having kids, as you guys start changing jobs or maybe being fed up with your current job and start looking for the next thing, Start paying attention to what pain points, what problems the people you know and love are experiencing, or maybe even in this case, you yourself are experiencing. So today we have Heather Gray on, and she is very fun to listen to. She travels a lot. She's a very independent person, very independent thinker, and she started Polish as just a side project to start to fix some of the issues that she was facing. And now she's got this awesome side business that keeps her motivated, fun, happy, excited. She's smiling the whole time when she talks about it. She gets to feed this awesome need that I think sits inside of a lot of us to go off on our own, take some risk, try some new things. And then when you're successful, it's quite amazing. So I hope that you guys enjoy this. I hope you guys take away something from Heather's experience and Allison's experience. And I hope to bring you guys a couple more fun entrepreneurs. And then we'll also get a couple really, really exciting new guests coming around the holiday time. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. And you guys are looking forward to an awesome Thanksgiving week. Heather Gray, and we're going to talk a little bit about travel and CrossFit and some side hustles and some projects and businesses and starting your own thing and all that fun stuff. So Heather, why don't you uh, give yourself a little bit of an introduction, who you are, and uh, maybe how long you've been with Friendship and that kind of stuff. Awesome. Okay. Um, Heather Gray, and I've been at Friendship almost three and a half years, I think. Yep. So... um, I don't really know what to say about myself. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's what we're here for. Is you can let your answers to the questions speak for yourself. Okay, good. I've got to get a better. Uh, I've got to get a better like intro question series. So like, yeah. get you right into a question right away. Um, all right. So one of the things that I know about you, and one of the things I've loved about just conversation with you over the years, is you love traveling. You love seeing new places. You have all these like amazing pictures. And I think one of the coolest things about you is you try to share that passion with others. And like, I think specifically with you and Maria and Shelly and Maria was just like, yeah, like, I don't know. Heather just planned the whole trip out. And like, you were just kind of this like pro traveler, um, you know, and then recently you were, um, you know, talking with Erica and Zach about Japan and doing that. And so just kind of, I feel like you have a different mentality towards traveling. So when did that start for you? Is that something you've always done? Uh, so 
traveling started probably in my mid 20s. I hadn't really done a whole lot of traveling with my family. We did the consistent Myrtle Beach trip every summer. Yeah. And I got really bored and annoyed. I didn't understand why we had to go to the same place every single year. Yeah. Um, and so probably right after college, I had opportunities to take some pretty inexpensive trips. Um, after 9-11 especially, plane yeah. tickets were around $100. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I would take just a trip to California for yeah. $100. And that was my first cab ride. I was nice. probably like 28 years old. Yeah. Um, the real traveling started when I was 34. Okay. And I took my first trip to Tennessee and did my very first hike ever. Nice. I didn't know it was a thing. <laughs> and I just fell in love with it. Yeah. And then my second hike was probably six months later. I did Mount Washington in the winter. Yeah. And it was terrifying. So that's a whole different ballgame. There was a whiteout. It was cold. But when I got down to the bottom, the acceleration and knowing what I had just done. Yeah. And you go and you go to a bar and you have a hamburger and a beer and you're warm and your belly's full and you're tired. Yeah. You just can't replace that feeling. Yeah. And I think that kind of spurred my addiction to yeah. wanting to travel and do active things while traveling. Yeah, it's just like a raw humanistic like sense of accomplishment and a feeling that is like you've you've made it through something. And I think that sense of kind of feeling alive is what is the I think the purpose of of travel or new experiences. Sure. So it's cool that you've uh, kind of felt that and now it's a little bit of like an addiction and something that I think you pursue probably do you feel like it's like a little bit more each year I feel like you take on a little bit more each year well the hard part is finding where to go because you know it may seem like I take a ton of time to do these things but it's very strategically planned out around work schedules and things like that yeah Um, it's hard to pick places to go. So one of my hobbies is to do all the high points in the United States. And a lot of people don't know that's a thing, but every single state has a geographical high point. Ohio's is Campbell Hill. It's really lame. (laughs) Um, but I started probably planning my trips around at least getting one or two of those a year. Nice. I think I'm up to 38, maybe 40 now. Wow, yeah. Um, and so next year for sure I want to do Katahdin in Maine. Yeah. And so then you kind of start thinking, okay, well, you know, where am I going to go? Well, that's in Maine, so I could stop by this. And then you start Googling restaurants that have been on the Food Network. And yeah. this kind of turned into, it turns into a thing. Yeah, that's really cool. I've heard Maine's amazing. My yeah. family went there a little bit last year, and uh, I think two years now, and they just love it. And I've just heard it's incredible. Um, so what's been your favorite one so far? What's been your favorite peak? What really stands out? Um, probably, let me think, Bora in Idaho was quite the challenge. I believe it was 3,000 feet in three miles, so it was straight up. And then there was a section called Chicken Out Ridge where you're literally, your toes are on this ledge and you're literally putting your fingernails into these grooves um, I was a little nervous, but I got behind a man and his nine-year-old son. Yeah. So from being from Ohio, you don't think about little kids and older people doing these things. Yeah. But you get to the top and you're like, yes, I am amazing. This is wonderful. And then a 75-year-old man comes up and yeah. then an eight-year-old child. Yeah. And you're like, okay, it's yeah. very humbling. Yeah. Um, but that was probably my favorite just because of the effort that it took. Yeah. Um, Mount Washington for sure because I was the only one that I had done in a whiteout and there had been an avalanche two days before. Oh, wow. Um, that's pretty crazy. I love the name Chicken Out Ridge. That's fantastic. Yeah, I like it's where a lot of people turn around. Well, so yeah, I mean, I, mean, I feel like the name it. precedes itself. It's terrifying. Itself. Yeah, I can um, imagine. You know, you're, you're, I used to look down yeah. because I do get a little dizzy. And some people say, well, I'm afraid of heights or 
Um, I am too. I get to some of those spots and I cannot look left or I cannot look right. I have to look straight down and just go straight across the the ledge or whatever. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I think that's, that's obviously, that's a big part of the point is like, you know, you have to kind of, you're going to be uncomfortable somewhere, um, whether it's oxygen deprivation or, or you know, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> get, get a little high, you know. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Have you done uh, Hawaii or Alaska yet? Those are kind of those, like, big outliers. I have not. Okay. Um, the one in Hawaii is not bad. I don't know. Denali's going to be a challenge just because it's, I heard the average attempt is three times because yeah. the weather turns so drastically. Yeah. So whether that will be something that I do, you know, as like the last ditch effort yeah. high point or whether I just decide not to do it, yeah. I haven't decided yet, but that'll definitely be my last one. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, and same thing. I've heard just nothing but amazing things about Alaska, so that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so the high points I feel like are a really good, uh, like national, continental, United States one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so recently, um, you know, you have done a little bit of international travel, but it's something new to you. Do you feel like it's something that you're going to start to pursue a little bit more. What I'm are your feelings? Yeah. Do you where where do you feel like you know? I think feel like international travel is always so interesting. Like I think the natural, at least natural for me, was always like I want to hammer out Europe. Like I love um, European history. I, I'm a big buff with all that stuff, and so I think it's just there's so much history, human history to see there um, that's a little bit more familiar to Americans. But then there's like this entire like you know, the Oriental area of Asia and everything is such a, a huge, like, culture shift. It's so different. Um, and I've been talking with Zach a little bit on WhatsApp and, like, just been kind of diving into what the culture's like there. Um, so what are your feelings on, like, international travel? Are you just kind of looking for, like, just anything? It really depends on kind of a gut feeling. That's yeah. how I plan my trips, and I try to plan them, like, a year in advance. Yeah. Where I want to go, strategically, time frame, weather. Yeah. Um, I like to travel when it's not very busy. So if I do European travel, it's usually in the fall. Yeah. Um, my next um, stop, I either want to go back to the Swiss Alps. I yeah. was only there for two days. Oh, man. And the weather was crummy. And so I would love to go back and do some hiking, maybe spend a week. Yeah. Um, typically, I travel really fast. Yeah. So outside of being in Tokyo this past summer, my last European trip, I was in Italy uh, Switzerland and Germany in a 10 day period of time and yeah. that included flight there and flight back oh wow yeah. so and then I kind of like to dip my fingers in it and just see where I want to go again yeah um, and now I want to see all of Italy yeah I would love to see Greece yep um, so it just depends and, and Japan has always been on a bucket list of mine yeah so when the Judys were talking about doing um, Mount Fuji yeah I of course was like and I make these decisions so spur of the moment sometimes yeah, yeah. So... very spur of the moment I was there I was right next to you guys <laughs> yeah so sometimes it's it like just... I turned my head to the left and then when I came back to the right you were going to Japan <laughs> yeah so sometimes it's spur of the moment and that to date has been one of my favorite trips because I'll do that. And then you just go and you just kind of wing it. And of course, Zach is, you know, an amazing planner. Yeah, for sure. So that was fun to go and just have him plan everything out for us. So thanks, Zach, if you're listening. Yeah, that's so cool. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, I I was, there's like, I see it happening and I know that like, it's not an easy decision, but the decision that you, you made, you made it seem easy right and i think that that's something that's that's very unique it's a it's a cool personality trait something i really admire about you and it's just something that's been um something that i wish i could make more of a priority and i think it's something that's why i'm so interested to ask you about it so um so that's really cool uh all right well let's transition that so hiking the peaks you got to be in shape to do that right and you have been an avid crossfitter what brought you you know what brought you to crossfit what did you maybe do before crossfit um and then kind of you know, as CrossFit, I know it's shifted your entire like body composition, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. So let's get down that path. 
Yeah, so um, I was kind of lazy in my early 30s. I didn't really do anything. I was kind of walking and maybe doing a little jogging. And long story short, a friend of mine got me back into swimming. And then over a year period of time, I started meeting triathletes. And so within probably a year of swimming, I bought a bike. I started running. And again, with that spur-of-the-moment decision, in August, I don't remember, 2009 maybe, um, I watched a video on Louisville, Kentucky, yeah. and I was working on my master's thesis at the time, and I just took a break, watched the video, burst into tears. I was like, wow, this is really phenomenal. And I had seen one in person. Yeah. I had gone to the one in um, Hawaii to watch a friend do that and yeah. thought they were insane. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, I need a break. I walked my dogs, came back, watched it again, burst into tears, and I was like, I need to do this. Yeah. And so I started the triathlon process. It takes a year. You yeah. sign up a year in advance. Yep. And so probably three years I did triathlons, the long endurance ones, the ones that you have no life. Yeah. Um, and then I took a year off to figure out what I wanted to do, and I was training by myself. Yeah. About a year in, I was on the stair stepper at Lifetime, and I was miserable. Yeah. I was like, I can't continue doing this anymore. Yeah. And so I checked out a couple <clears throat> CrossFit gyms, and friendship stuck out because of the people and just the way the training was. Yeah. And so I decided to jump in. Yeah. <laughs> it's really cool. So, what is what? How, what kind of triathlons did you do? Um, I guess which what kind of triathlons did you did you complete? Like, what were your races that you did? Um, so, my very first triathlon ever was a full Ironman. Oh, okay. and then I went backwards. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like kind of once, once you knocked that out, it's like that was long. Now let's do some short ones. Yeah. Yes. So I did that one, um, and then I did my favorite distance was the half distance. Yeah. Um, it's not as challenging. You can kind of do some sprint work and stuff. Um, the biggest difference between, you know, say doing the triathlon world and doing CrossFit is, like you said, the body composition. Yeah. So I went from 113 pounds to 140 pounds yeah. in the last three years. Nice. But I'm very strong. I tried to swim this last winter and it was just wow. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, and especially for CrossFitters, like we put a lot of weight into like our butt and quads. And, like, that's not necessarily a point that, like, you kind of want to be sinking when you're swimming. And so it's, it's like, I found the same thing. Like, I was a pretty good swimmer growing up, and I've always loved swimming. But when I got back into it after doing CrossFit for a while, I was just like, man, like, I am slow moving. And, like, it's, yeah. it, it is. It's a, it's a whole different world, so. I'm, I'm very slow. Um, and then I think when you go from one thing to another, especially when it's that drastic, um, like for example, I watched the finish of an Iron Man on TV the other day yeah. and I was blown away by how skinny everybody was. Yeah. I forget. Yeah. And you really have to wrap your mind around kind of what you want out of life. Yeah. Um, cause you can't beat yourself up like, Oh, I'm not as fast as I was. I'm not as skinny as I was. Yep. And just say, okay, well this is the world I'm in now. I'm yeah. strong. I'm yep. fit. So I've kind of had to process and say, well, what do I want to do with life? Yeah. I want to be able to go and hike mountains and feel great afterwards and yep. not be too tired. Yep. And just, you know, being strong, there's something to that. Oh, you yeah, really sure. have to work hard to be strong. Yeah, and that's the thing is I think, um, you know, what's missing a little bit with some of the endurance sports stuff is, um, you know, there's a great high. It, you know, it's it's it, it's a great way to be active. But it's just like you said, the, the lack of muscle mass leads to problems down the road, right? It leads to all sorts of, there's going to be weight issues, there's going to be... 
um, you know, joint issues and the lack of muscular support on your system and on your structure is going to lead to issues in some capacity, right? And so I think that's a building muscle is really it's a hedge against old age, right? And so not only can you be more active and be more functional and you know lift things and climb mountains and do all that stuff. But also like anatomically, like it burns more calories at rest, you know, it helps your skin stay tighter, like all those, all those little like cosmetic things that are also kind of a nice byproduct of it. Sure. So I think it's really cool. What are your favorite, um, so you said the people for CrossFit and you're very social. You like to hang out and after and around the 930 and hang out with your peoples. Um, but what is, uh, what is like your favorite, um, you know, movement? Like you've, you've dabbled in quite a few things over the years. What do you feel like is your favorite stuff about CrossFit? Um, I love a split jerk. Yeah. I always have. Yeah. I don't know. There's just something about putting that weight over your head and yep. balancing it with your legs is pretty fun. Yeah. Um, I love the chippers. Yeah. Give me a 45 minute workout. Anyway. I was going to say, you still love the long <laughs> ones. That's your background is, is, you know, you've got that. Yeah. You know, I can, yeah. And I was going to say, and you've always, always just had that like engine that can just go forever. So, um, so yeah, I think that's, uh, that's something that's kind of interesting to see what background people come into CrossFit with. And then sure. it's like you still kind of have that love. It still sits there to love the endurance stuff, but it's been fun to watch you grow and become a better weightlifter and stuff over the years also. Well, so, thank you. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, so, uh, so now as we kind of, you know, start to look forward and you've got, you know, a few peaks left to go and stuff, do you feel like, uh, as you get to maybe some of those more challenging peaks or some of those different ones, do you feel like that would be something that you would actually like train for? Like it would be different in terms of like, or do you feel like, you know, Hey, going to CrossFit five days a week, maybe hitting some runs and doing some different stuff or stair steppers on the weekend gets me, gets me where I need to be. I think CrossFit, um, definitely gets you in shape. I did, um, I bought myself a 40th birthday present a few years back and did Mount Whitney. Yeah. And I never hiked in the Sierra Nevadas before. So I actually hired a guide to take me Yeah. and she said it was the fastest hike they've ever done. Oh, wow. Probably could have done it in a day, but it was really fun to camp and swim in the lake and all this yeah. other stuff as well. And she asked me what I did to train and literally just CrossFit. Yeah. I think if you add some running in there as well, just to kind of get your cardiovascular. Yep. Um, the biggest challenge in hiking big peaks that people need to be aware of is the lack of oxygen when you get that high. Yeah. So if you're dealing after 12,000 feet, you know, yeah. it's a whole other ball game. Yeah. And you could be in great shape and still have to, you know, stop. For yeah. example, when um, Shelly and Marie and I were in Colorado, yeah, we no, literally had to take 40 steps at a time and yeah. then stop. Yeah. So you need to make sure you're hydrated yep. and you need to make sure that you, you know, are taking precautions to drink tons of water and make sure you're really, really well fed stuff yourself before you go. Yeah. Um, to kind of rewind a little bit, this is kind of off topic, but not off topic. Um, the CrossFit community is really a place if you want to live an active lifestyle to find those people. Yeah. I was lacking in female friends for many, many years yeah. just because nobody could do what I wanted them to do. Yeah. And I'm not saying what I wanted them to do as, as far as selfishly, but yep. when you go out and you do a 14,000-foot mountain, I don't want to babysit. Yeah. I don't want to take someone that's going to turn around after a mile and be like, well, this isn't fun. Yeah. So I think in the CrossFit community, you can find so many people that have that same mindset yeah. of being active, yeah. exploring, Accepting taking time out for themselves. Yeah. yeah, and so that's opened up a whole nother world. Probably the first year, I left class immediately and didn't really talk to anybody because I was so used to that. Yeah. And then over time, now I leave extra time after class because I do stay and talk. For and then you meet your girl Mo and everything changes. <laughs> I right? know. Yeah, yeah, so. um, but yeah, I, no, I mean, I, I think that's that spot on is being surrounded by kind of, you know, like-minded people, like-minded women who are, I think that's the biggest thing is just not afraid of a challenge, not afraid of something new. Um, I, you know, I love, I've always been somebody, 
and granted, like I get to cheat because I get to be in our community, but like, I've never been somebody who's, who's even thought of like women as like, Oh, like they're, they can't climb a mountain with me because like I'm married to Maria and like, she's more of a stud than I am, you know? And it's like, you, you, you're surrounded by these women, you know, the Kristen Christmans of the world and you and Shelly and, and I, there's just a hundred women in our community and it's like, they can do everything. Like, I don't, like, there's no, there's no, like, the women in our community have always far surpassed the guys in terms of, like, physical prowess. Sure. Um, and I just think that that's something that's been, uh, it skews you a little bit. Like, in my world, it's different than your world. You were saying, on the outside coming in, I've never seen this before, so I just don't expect it. And then I'm on the inside looking out, I'm like, this is all I know. And then when right. it's, like, the opposite, I'm like, well, that's weird. Like, mm-hmm. why wouldn't they want to do that? Like, that's all the women in my life are accepting of challenges, new challenges every day. Um, So that's, that's cool that that's been something that you've enjoyed out of the community. And so one of those big characteristics is kind of challenges, struggles and failure. So tell me a little bit about like how you've kind of experienced that. I fail all the time. Yeah. I don't think um, people look at failure as what the terminology of failure means. And I think that you need to go through life knowing that unless you fail, you're not going to grow. Mm-hmm. And I just don't care. Yeah. If I do something and I mess up, it's like, oh, well, let's try again. Yeah. And when you get into hiking or when you get into CrossFit, I mean, you know, like for the first probably six months, I was like, what's that lift again? I just wasn't paying attention yeah. or, you know, whatever. And you fail over and over and over again so that you can succeed. And everything that I know about hiking mountains, I've learned from failure yeah. you get to the top you run out of water you don't have food you didn't get enough sleep you started too late yep. whatever the case is it's always because you're like whoops yeah won't do that again <laughs> yeah and then that's how you learn so you know for those people that want to start doing that start small start yeah. you know go into the north carolina and do a short hike and yeah. practice what you need and you know i'm even down to the point where i have a tiny little backpack a day pack for a yeah. hike and you need one bottle of water per approximated hour yep. that you think it's going to take you and, you know, I see people with these humongous backpacks hiking these little tiny hikes. Yeah. And I just think, oh, my gosh, yeah. they're going to learn the hard way. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, you must be new. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, just like you said, I, I think the understanding of what failure is or having that mindset, I think, like you said, it's like it's broken. It's it's People think of it the exact opposite way that they should. They try to avoid failure and they try everything they can to be overly careful and tentative. It's like in actuality, you're better to fail horribly so long as you learn from it. But that's the mentality that is, I think it plagues people across all different sorts of stuff, whether it's CrossFit or uh, climbing mountains. And that's like, we see people who struggle to ever get a foothold in CrossFit because they're so adverse to doing something that challenges them or doing a lift where, you know, you can't do that right now. You take like an overhead squat, for example, it's like the vast majority of American adults who come in and haven't been physically active aren't going to be able to put weight over their head and do an overhead squat. Right. And for some people, like just the fact that they can't do it is enough to just shut them down. And they're like, I, I don't like this. I'm just not going to do it. It's like, yeah, but in actuality, like you should be able to do that as a human. Don't you want to work towards getting that? Like that's my mentality is like, yeah, it's a failure. But like I couldn't overhead squat for a year with any weight before I started. And then it took me another like three years to be, even be able to get up to like half of my body weight. Um, but like for me, I just was like obsessed with like, I should be able to do this. 
I don't understand why I keep failing. Like, this is so frustrating. I'm going to keep working at it until I get it, right? But that persistence, that mentality is just like you said, it's, you know, being aware of the fact that you made these mistakes when you were first climbing mountains. And then it's, but that's now something that'll never make that mistake again. And you're better for it. And then you become closer and closer to being able to do some of these bigger hikes without even, you know, now it's just like, yeah, that's a habit. I know I'm going to do X and Y and Z. I'm going to bring all this stuff. I'm going to stuff myself. I'm going to start at 3 a.m. Like, it's just, it's second nature now. And so then you're just going to have a much higher success rate. You're going to be able to enjoy it more. And, like, that's awesome. As opposed to, like, you do your first hike and it's just like, oh, I failed. That sucks. I quit. You know? <laughs> so it's just no, no fun. And I think that that mentality, you know, as we transition over, I think that mentality is exactly why you felt comfortable to go out of your way to start you know, creating new products. So tell me yes. a little bit about. It's really a segue. Yeah, yeah, right. I like that. See? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to work on the segues. Um, so tell me a little bit about. I want to know like the very beginnings. Like, how did you start? Why did you start? What prompted everything? Well, you know, to kind of move in from the failure aspect of things, I had another company a few years back, um, and it was a snack bar company. Had a business partner. Had a business partner falling out. So some people may say, well, that was a failure. I look at it as a two-year working MBA. Yeah, right. And um, so when the whole skincare thing came into my mind, I started breaking out from everything I was putting on my body. Yeah. And I don't think people think about skincare as something that can harm them. They think more about food, like, well, I'm ingesting this. Well, you're also ingesting your skincare. Yeah. Because I'm proof that when I hit a certain age, all of a sudden, and I still, this is actually good, people can't see me, but my face is broken out from my hair color. Yeah. So I'm, like, scurrying to find something That's else, henna hair, hair, or henna hair color, but all of the stuff you put on your body goes into your blood. Yeah. And so I started making sugar scrub. I started making face oil. And then I had people that reached out and said, well, you need to make some kind of toner. Can you make me a cleanser? Can you make me a makeup remover? Can you make me a body oil? And it's really kind of just rolling. And I love being creative. My mother would never let us watch television when we were kids. And so we were forced to be creative. And I thank her for that every day. Um, And so if someone says, hey, um, I want a bath soak. I start researching bath soaks yeah. and I start researching essential oil combinations and yeah. what works. And I start handing out samples to see, you know, what works for everybody else. Um, but it just sort of happened. Yeah. And this company compared to my other one, Lesson Learned, is a lot more organic. I'm growing it a lot more slowly. Yeah. Um, but it's just fun. Yeah. It gives me something to look forward to every day when I wake up. Because I know I'm helping people. I think that's, I mean, that statement can stand alone for itself. I think that's fantastic. I think the the bigger thing, I think what's so interesting is you created it out of, uh, you, you were struggling with something. You had a need and the market didn't supply it in a way that seemed to make sense to you. So then you just started with something where, you know, hey, I really wish that I had something that was a little bit more natural to put on myself, to put on my skin. And that concept is so fundamentally simple. I think people have struggles and frustrations and stuff every day. But just like you said, all it takes a little bit. And I think there's this this entrepreneurial spirit that like just sits and it's like, and tell me if you're the same way because I feel like I am. It's like 
these little frustrations that like, you know, Maria and I will be sitting out at a restaurant or we'll be out in public or something and I'll see something. I'll be like, oh, that's so frustrating. That person should, and she'll just be like, what are you talking about? I'll be like, well, we could just create this thing and, and it would fix that entire issue and then it would never be an issue again. And it's like everywhere I go, I just, you, you're like acutely aware of the frustrations or the pain points or the problems that people are experiencing. And then you just think like, that could be a business. That could be something I could do. And so I think it's interesting that people now confide in you to fix issues for them. So they need something. They need a toner. Can you do that for me? Like, that's awesome. Think about how cool that is. Yeah. It's really interesting. So uh, so when you first started it, you said that you had some, like, some skincare, some breakouts, some issues, mm-hmm. right? How did you actually start down the path to figuring out, like, what would fix that? Like, was this market research? Like, how were you doing it? Um, Google. Everything's on Google. Yeah. And I knew that um, by process of elimination that it was the products I was putting on my skin that was causing the issue. Yeah. Um, and I'd never had hives before. Yeah. I'd never rashed out before all over my face. Um, and it was just something that uh, I started looking into natural because natural food, yep. natural skin care, anything or as organic as possible, not the word organic, but as natural as possible. Yeah. Um, people have been using plant-based oils forever before we started coming up with all these creative things that would be cheap. Um, and the biggest misconception, especially with skincare is you might put a moisturizer on your face, but the chemicals they put in that are literally masking what you're trying to fix. It's sort of like the drug industry. You're not healing it. You're masking the pain. That's why I don't take Tylenol. I try not to do those things because I want to know what hurts. So I don't hurt myself worse. Yeah. And so when you come to natural skincare, you're actually healing your skin. It yep. takes longer. Yep. So a lot of people lack patience. Yep. Um, and so I did a ton of research just on one product at a time to see, you know, what I needed and what needed to be in it. And when you're using natural products, there's a 99% chance nothing's going to happen to you. Yeah. Um, unless you consume a bucket of it, nothing's really going to happen. Yeah, yeah exactly right. <laughs> and so... Like, tell me about your initial, like, testing process. Like, were you, were you, like, trying stuff and then you're just like, this won't work. Like, this, and just, like, what was your, like, failure process like and learning process when you actually physically started creating the product? So, I think the thing is, again, it goes back to not being afraid to fail. And you need to have friends that are honest with you. Yeah. And so, my first batch of sugar scrubs were rock hard in the winter. Yeah. And so, when I gave them to my friends, they were like, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. You need to figure something else out. And so then you just start playing with percentages of oils and then making sure it doesn't freeze in the winter and making yep. sure it doesn't completely melt in the summer. Any natural thing that you're going to come across is going to have some kind of like melt point or issue. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it's literally just playing around with it. And again, you can't be afraid to fail. You just have to try and try and try and try. Yeah. A couple of them actually worked the first time, which is yeah. very strange. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just playing around, Googling, finding out. And you can't just do one source. Yeah. That drives me crazy when someone says, well, I Googled this and it said this. Well, yeah. you need to read at least a dozen articles yep. because everyone has their opinion. Yeah. I read an article the other day that said coconut oil is terrible for you. I'm yeah. sorry. Why? Yeah. Can you please elaborate on that? And who are you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. Like, let's dive deeper into this. And yeah, that's the, so the market research end of things, like that's just, that's legwork, right? Mm-hmm. That's just sweat equity. That's something that like, it's going to come with the territory and anybody who's actually going to be able to create something that's unique and beneficial, you have to do it, right? And this is why I tell Maria and I had this conversation last night is, but it's not, I mean, you literally, you can sit here, you can do it from your phone now. I mean, mm-hmm. you can do it anywhere at any time. And market research is just like you said, it's a little bit of common sense and building like a portfolio of, 
a multitude of different articles and opinions, right? And then you come into your own conclusion on those. Uh, and I think that's what makes a really good entrepreneur is somebody who is going to actually pay attention to all of these different, I call them squawk boxes, all these different squawk boxes, all these people just chat, 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 mm-hmm. talking, clickbait articles. That person wrote that coconut oil article because she knew that she would get reactions right. from women who consistently put coconut oil right. in their body. And so, and there you go. She got your click. She beat you, right? She did. Uh, but, but I didn't listen. But I didn't listen. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so, but I think that that's one of those things. It's like, that's, that's a big part of what you do. It's a big part of your job. I do it with CrossFit and CrossFit gyms. I do it with fitness. I do it with nutrition. I do it with everything. I think it's interesting that you do it with, uh, with just not just the actual skincare products and so not just like a sugar scrub or a face oil, but the actual like ingredient mm-hmm. itself, which I think is super interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you get into any like, like what's your most like exotic ingredient? I don't have any exotic ingredients. Yeah. I think exotic ingredients are kind of like the diamond industry. Okay. They make it exotic. Yeah. So right now charcoal is really hot. And so really? the price quadruples. That's there's, crazy. There's no point. Um, there are many other natural ingredients that are just as good that are one fourth of the cost. Yeah. So right now, um, that Melaleuca honey, very popular. You don't need that kind of honey. Yeah. You can go with another type of honey. Um, so a lot of my ingredients are basic. Yeah. I do your argan, your jojoba, your, um, olive oil is genius and it smells delicious. Your apricot kernel oil, your almond oil. So all of these oils that are relatively inexpensive because they've been around for so long and they do wonderful things for your skin. They're the, they're the boring ones that have stood the test of time. Oh, they work and they stand the test of time. How lame. Right. (laughs) Right. And if there's something new that comes out, I mean, the the problem is then your price quadruples if XYZ company decides that they're going to, you know, take it out of the industry or make it special or yeah. whatever the case is. So I don't, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. That's super interesting. I like, I like that concept though. Do you do, so do you buy the oils in themselves or like, do you make like your, your own almond oil or how do, oh, how no. do you, yeah. I, I buy it. Um, yep. I have a couple companies and, and another thing people need to know, there's probably four or five companies in the U S to get their oils. Yeah. That's pretty much it. You're yep. not going to, you know, you're not going to fly to Africa and, you know, buy some oils directly. You're probably going to go through a company. Yeah. Um, the company I buy mine from, they actually send me the paperwork on the oil, when it was processed, where yeah. it's from, all those things. Oh, so nice. I have all the basics um, yeah. of where that's from. But another thing you need to know also is there are three different types of oils. Okay. There's cold pressed. Yeah. There's expeller pressed and there's chemical pressed. Okay. Um, cold pressed is hot right now. Yeah. So a lot of people think it has to be cold pressed. That's not true. The expeller pressed is fine. Yeah. It's just applying heat to it to get the oils out. Okay. Um, the only one you want to avoid is the chemical because they're adding chemicals to get the oils out. Okay. Yeah, all of my products are cold pressed or expeller pressed oils. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I've never, I guess, thought about how you actually extract the oils themselves. <laughs> right. But I guess that that's a, I mean, that's a huge part of what actually would make it a natural oil right. is that they're not adding the chemicals to do that stuff. Right. Um, so as you started kind of diving on that path again, is that just all stuff that's Google? Like, are you able yep. to just to find these distributors for any kind of oil just yep. online? Oh, that's yeah. Just, um, and again, this came from the former company that I had. Yeah. That one took about two years to get up and running to launch. The polish company took about three months oh, because wow. I already knew what to do. Yeah. And you literally research, 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 research. For example, when it came to branding, yeah, um, my product is branded. Okay. A lot of companies don't brand their products. I yeah. think branding gives it a, a higher quality look. So in order to find a branding person or company, we had narrowed down 10 firms that we liked, that yeah. we liked their um, designs, and we thought that they kind of 
you know, matched what we wanted to do. Yeah. Um, again, I'm referring to the other company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I say we, because this one's just me for many reasons. Yep. Um, and then after that 10, we called, made phone calls, and we met with five. And then when you have the meeting with five of them, then you kind of look at the price point, what you can afford. Yeah. Um, and then we narrowed it down to one. Yeah. So again, it's a lot of legwork. It's a yeah. lot of research. It's yeah. a lot of just, you know, patting the pavement to figure out what to do and where to go and, yeah. and how to, how it works. Um, there's just a lot that goes into it. And I think having that first company uh, really gave me a lot of insight into how to create this one. Yeah. All the mistakes that... I made, I can now, and I still make mistakes. Even in this company, I've made mistakes. Financial ones are the worst because then you're like, well, I threw a thousand dollars away for nothing. Um, But then you just go, right? I mean, and I think the the best meme I've ever seen for entrepreneurs, it literally is a roller coaster. One day you're like, this business is amazing and so much fun. (laughs) And the next day you're like, this sucks. I hate my life. I hate this business. And the next day you're like, this is fun. It's literally like that every single day. It is. Yeah. And it's the... You know, I, I read consistently and one of the big things that I try to think about, I read and I watch a lot of like entrepreneurial biographies and stuff. And I think one of the big reasons I'm watching one from the History Channel right now, um, that's all about like the the titans of America. So, you know, Carnegie and um, Rockefeller and all these guys. Uh, but one of the reasons I like to watch that is a big part of all of their stories is that stick to is every single one of these guys had those points where... I'm down, I'm out, I'm struggling, I'm stressed, um, Things, nothing's going my way right now. Um, and at those points, it's, it's, it's a war of attrition. It's, you know, everybody is going to have those same stress points. It's who can stick it out, you know, mm-hmm. who can be the person who sees that as just a part of what you're doing and can leg out the times where you're like, this sucks, I hate this. And just like you said, it, it takes a different kind of temperament, but... Once you start kind of doing it and you do have those good days and those good times, it's a lot like climbing the mountain, right? Mm-hmm. It's like there are times where this sucks. Like this is really hard. It's very physically uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, you get to look up at the peak and go, I just fucking did that. Like, yeah. that's awesome. Like, and sometimes it's like every now and again, I'll like walk out of friendship at night and just kind of look at the building and be like, like, it's fucking cool. Like, it's, it's right. awesome to be able to say that like you've built that stuff. So, um, I think it's fascinating that your first business took two years to create Mm -hmm. and taught you so much uh, that you were able to not only start the second business faster, but do it in a way where you were doing it your way and you weren't having all these, you know, all these other talking heads and all these people come in. And, you know, there's a big common debate with partner versus no partner. Um, And, you know, I think every every entrepreneur's first experience sort of defines how they're out in that boat. Um, Obviously I've been blessed with a phenomenal um, partnership and um, you know, I think other people don't have that same experience. So what do you, what do you, where's your feeling at on partnerships? Like I know you're, you're solo on Polish, right? I am. It really depends on what the business is because some businesses just can't physically go on their own. Um, and finding someone that has the same mentality and work ethic as you is really hard. Um, you know, I, I will work until a job gets done and some people just don't do that. So you really have to sit down and think, you know, where's this going? And the thing you need to think about the most is if this business, you know, fails or if we decide to go in a different direction, 
you know, am I going to have to buy this person out? Yep. Even if it's not making any money, which is what happened to the first company. Yeah. Instead of making all those steps, I just walked away from it, yeah. which was, it, I took 30 days to watch. And it was, I have a picture of myself laying on the deck with my dog. Yep. Depressed as hell. Yep. And I took a picture of it because I'm like, I want to remember this day. Yeah. You get 24 hours to be sad. Yeah. I gave myself 24 hours to be sad. And I swear I would never start another business again. Yep. And here I am. Yeah. But I did it on my terms. And yeah. I hate the chatter in my ear. I hate someone telling me, let's do this, let's do this, let's do that. And just having to talk about every single damn decision. Yep. I can make my own decisions now. Yeah. And it's so much more freeing. Yeah. I choose when. I don't say yes all the time anymore. Whereas having a business partner, sometimes they're like, well, we should do this. And you're yeah. like, but I don't want to. Yeah. And they're like, but we should do it. Yep. And then you have to do it. Yep. And then you regret it and you're mad. Yeah. <laughs> so It's so hard. I can't imagine. I mean, the the stress of walking away, like I, just like you said, I mean, I can't imagine what that's like to go through. Um, but I think it's incredible the strength that, I mean, even just to say, I'm going to take 24 hours to be sad and then yeah. just we're moving on. And like you said now, I think, so this is what I always tell people. And this is one of the big things I tell young people all the time is if you have any little bit of entrepreneurial spirit you've ever thought, like, I think I should start, start it and then fail and then show yourself that you can start something else or you have these other fallbacks. You have all of these options available to you and it's not the end of the world, even though in the moment it certainly seems like it is. It's one of those things that's so stressful and hard, but now you kind of with a smile on your face, referred back to it as a two-year MBA. Yeah. And you think about all you learned and how invaluable that is to your life now and the current business you're working in, any future businesses that you ever right. decide you do Which want Which I to start. will do another one someday, of yeah. course. Yeah, um, And I think the key is, too, is just to wing it. Yeah. Business plans are a joke. Yep. I had an opportunity to mentor I this. I just said that a few weeks ago to somebody. Yeah, yep. this. Um, I had a chance to mentor this kid um, up in Cleveland, and he said he was putting his business plan together. And I said, I think that is the biggest mistake that people make. Yep. You have to have a plan. So kind of do you know kind of a you know loose timeline. Yep. But you could walk two steps down the street and can be completely thrown off course. And if you have a business plan, it takes you longer to figure out what to do next. Yep. You really have to be on your toes. Yep. It's just, it's one of those things you just have to wing it. Yeah. And see what flies. Yeah. And if you, I feel like so many people, they take like months and weeks and years trying to get this like perfect business plan. And then just like you said, it's like two months into business, half of that's going to be like irrelevant. It's right. like, you're going to find out all of a sudden like, oh, I thought the industry was this way and it's not. And so all of my demand has been you know, in this one segment and now all of a sudden like the entire business plan that I spent months creating is just irrelevant. And so that's, but again, that's sometimes where Google can throw you off because if you Google steps to starting a business or how do I start a business almost universally across the board, like step one, create a business plan. And it's just like, but that's why I think it's so important to have mentors, to have guides, to have people who have had varying degrees of success with multiple businesses that you can go and talk to. I think it's so cool. And one of the things I tell parents all the time at our, at our facility is like your kids actually have a really rare opportunity, especially like high school kids go and have them follow some of our entrepreneurs around. We have lots of them in the gym Go and just watch, just see, talk to them about it. Get to know what other things are like. That way, when you do go down those paths, like you already have a bunch of these 
thought processes and ideals and different things. I think every entrepreneur has a ton of different guidance that they can give to people just like you just right. did. So and you have to start somewhere. I mean, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. Yeah. When I look back on it, I sold Mary Kay, which is kind of a loose entrepreneurship. Yeah. I had a jewelry business. Yeah. That I was, it was my own. I branded it. I went around to jewelry parties. Yeah. I had, when I was a kid, I used to make cards and I would wrap pencils and wrapping paper and spray them with perfume and sell them at garage sales. Nice. I mean, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's, yeah, I love it. I love, I love the fact that that's like, and once you start diving down, you start actually looking at it through that lens, you realize real quick, it's like, I've been this way my whole life. Right. Uh, and I love the fact that, and I, I think we could dive deeper into not watching TV the whole time, but that that creative brain once you realize that your creative brain is an asset that is going to far exceed what your physical body can go and do for somebody else so you know it's that difference of you know if i go and i work and uh, you know i go and work 9 to 5 for somebody else that is worth x right and even if you're really good at what you do that x is just never going to be as big as the possibilities of your creative brain seeing something and saying, I think I can fix that problem for people. I think that I could do something that would actually be a huge benefit and then going off and doing it on your own. And even like you take the financial end out of it, but just flick from a fulfilling standpoint, that stimulus to your creative brain is so fulfilling and it's so fun. And like you get this like energy and momentum. And it's probably like when you first get like, a new product and like you try it and you test it and like you nailed it and you're like people are gonna fucking love this and like I just want to get it out there and I want to yeah. start getting people to try it and there's like that buzz that you get in your body that's so like fun and exciting um and so I think that that's like that I if I, I always tell people all the time like just do it for that don't worry at all about the money if you just do it for that you're gonna be so excited all the time that people it'll it'll show on your face when you tell people about it Right. And then they'll just want to be a part of it because it's it's something unique and it's something cool and they can tell that you care about it. Um, and you can tell that it is going to fix an issue for somebody because otherwise, like, you wouldn't give a shit about it, you know? Right. So, um, so that's cool. So now you've got um, – how many different, like, products do you have? I have no idea. Yeah. A lot. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> like 10 or 12 or something like okay. that. And I have probably four or five more I want to roll out next year. Yeah. Um, but obviously there comes down to financial and you know, what's next. And, um, I'm lucky because I have a friend who owns her own aesthetics uh, business. And so she utilizes the products on clients first, which is really helpful. Um, so yeah, I, I don't even know how many products I have at this point. Yeah. And so do you do most of your stuff? Is it then, uh, is are most of your sales online or most of your sales like B2B? Yeah. Nice. Awesome. And then as you start kind of looking into next year, you said you've already got these kind of thought mm. processes for what you want to do. Um, do you feel like for you, it's always going to be something where you're always trying to create? It's always going to be something where like you want to always be moving that ball forward and reinventing and creating new things. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Take it um, as it comes. Yeah. I try not to look more than like a year in advance. Yeah. So, you know, I might reach the point where I have the products that I want to have. I mean, obviously creating new, if there's a need and a demand, maybe, um, kind of my goal down the road is to help people start their own businesses because yeah. that's the hardest part. Yeah. No one knows where to start. And that's my favorite part. Yeah. The launch and making the products and selling the products, I could take or leave. Yeah. The, get the branding and the yeah. colors and the, whatever you have to put into it to yep. create something unique. Yeah. That's my favorite part. Yeah. And that's, that's the really hardest cool. part for people. Yeah, for sure. And I think a big misconception too with people that think about entrepreneurship and you talked about people having an office job, some of the most successful entrepreneurs out there had their full-time jobs for three to four years yeah. before they completely went into yeah. 
you know, starting their company. Yep. And um, a really good book on that and kind of sticking to your own and, and putting your blinders on is the book Originals. Yeah. I've listened to it in my car probably twice and I've read it three times. Wow. And he talks wow. about that. Most people think entrepreneurs jump off the cliff and go, all right, let's wing it. Yep. And he's like, no, most entrepreneurs get to the cliff, check the height, check their backpack, make sure the wind's good, make sure the weather's good. Like they have all their balls in place. You just don't see that part. Yep, exactly. And then they jump. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, and I mean, that's, it's, it's true. I think for most real success stories are, they were, I mean, take it even at the highest level, you take, you know, Steve Jobs and um, Waz and they were, I think working at uh, Atari and it's like, they had their day jobs and it's just like, you get these, uh, the, and I think looking at those stories, I think that's a huge common theme is, they are actively doing something else right. and then they started as, you know, what is commonly referred to now as like a side hustle. Right. And the cool part about that is you have zero, there, there is no fear of failure if you do it that way. Right. You've, you've hedged against that and you get to dabble, you get to try, you get to see if you like it, you get to see if it works, you get to see if people want it at all. And worst case, they don't. Or worst case, you don't right. like it, and you're like, you know what? Nah, and then I'm you not fix it and do something else. Yep, exactly. So I think it's cool now, now that you want to shift more into like the mentor role. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you have any plans on like how you, like who do you hope to target? How do you hope to find these people? Just conversations and meeting people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just um, you know, because a lot of people want to start a small business. Yeah. And it's not hard. Yeah. It's just you have to kind of know and do the research and legwork and and all that stuff. But everybody, I mean, there's thousands of people out there that I've talked to like oh yeah. I've, I had this idea and I always wanted to do this or I've had this idea and I yeah. always wanted to do that and they just don't do it and I think one of the hardest things is you have to like to work yeah my hobby I love to work I yep. like to push myself and so you have to give up going out and getting drinks on a Friday night yep. to go home and research yeah that's fun for me and so you I get people all the time Bri, like, are you listening <laughs> <laughs> I, get, I get people all the time that are like you know well I wish I could do that I wish I could do that but yeah. then on Friday night they go out and number one spend all their money yep. on drinks and food whereas if you stayed in and researched number one you were saving that money that you could put towards your business so it's sacrifice yep it's what your priorities are and yep. what you see for yourself. Yeah. And the rush of having your own business and doing your own thing is a lot more fun for me than the going out and just, yep. you know, I hang out enough. I hang out enough with people. Yeah. You know, it's just, but it's fun to work. Yeah. And people need, and there's a lack of that now. Yeah, yeah for sure. Now, and it's been something at first where, like, I just felt like, oh, I just guess, I guess they just don't understand or I guess they just don't know. Um, but it, now it's it's just the way I am. Like I love just sitting there on my laptop or on my phone, just reading new thought processes, listening to podcasts, hearing new ideas and different things. And but like you can tell, like sometimes Maria's like, "But when are we going to go out on a date? Like when are we going to do this? And we're going to do that." And it's just like you pause it, and I have to take a second. It's just like, but like you do, you understand that like I love this. Like I I truly do love this. Like it's not. It's not work. It's not, I don't need balance. I don't need like these other things necessarily because like I, I'm literally doing like what my passion is. Like this is what I truly love to do. You have to love it. Otherwise you're screwed. Yep. And and I think that that's, that's the thing is I think sometimes like I hope that if people are deciding that they're not wanting to do that, it's because they're like, actually, you know, I like the freedom of getting off at four o'clock on a Friday and not have to think about anything till nine o'clock on Monday. Um, and if you have an awareness of that, if that's who you are, then like, yeah, absolutely. Like you're not going to be successful if you like your weekends as an entrepreneur. Like that's, 
in actuality, probably the time where it's like, that's when I get the most work done because that's when everybody else is out doing other stuff. And so, um, so I think that's, it's, there's some, there's some, maybe not hard truths, but just like some differences in mentality and outlook like that, that I think are a little bit required, but I think that's why it takes a mentor. I think it's cool that that's why you want to do it. That's why I try to have these conversations. That's why I try to put it in people's ears. Like I'm sure there are people that haven't made it this far in the podcast that just aren't interested. Right. But there is a huge subset of people that are sitting there wondering, like, what if? Like, I've worked for the same job for 15 years or 10 years. And your natural human inclination is to say, well, I can't walk away from that. I've devoted so much time to it. But you have this constant underlying, like, what if? I've always wanted to. Right. I feel like I could. I want to. I love this. I have this idea. And it's like, if you've got that urge, like, you just, you have to try. You have to satisfy it. Right. Um, so I think that that's, that's my hope and I love that we can have this conversation and then hopefully there can be maybe a young woman who has a great new idea who can reach out to you as a mentor and then, or, or me, right. It doesn't need to be guy, girl, but, um, but it's like, but I hope that that's the conversation that these, that this breeds is, is creating more conversation between people, um, to people like us who enjoy just the aspect of, helping people create their own passion and helping people create a new, even a new industry, right? I look at everything as a new industry a little bit is, um, you know, you think your need, that was, you're creating a new industry. Like skincare is not a new industry, but the way in which you created it, you were starting in a new corner, a new part of that industry that was just not readily available to you inside of this market. Especially in beauty as well. Like with skincare, especially the market is be beautiful, don't look like yourself, you need yeah. to look like this person. Yeah. My skincare is literally like healthy skin. Yeah. Be you. My yeah. tagline is literally be authentically you. Yeah. And even this morning I posted, I was in my car wiping my face with a toning pad, putting the scent roll on on my body. And Which I love oil, the toning pads, by be, the way. Because I have no time to shower. I'm too busy. And so it's for those people that have kids, have a full-time job, have X, Y, and Z they need to do at the end of the day. I don't have time to doll myself up. I'm me. I'm yeah. not. A, I'm not apologizing for it, and nobody else should either. Yeah. So it's more about working on the health of your skin and making yeah. sure that your skin is healthy, not trying to be anybody else. Yeah. So it is kind of a new whole concept. Yeah. So we'll see how that works. Yeah. I think it's cool. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think that you just in what you said right there, there is definitely a following of women who completely get along with exactly yes. what you said. Um, and I'm finding them. They're yeah. reaching out to me. Yeah. And there I had a girl this weekend actually reach out to me and she said that after all her Halloween makeup and she wanted to use up the rest of her Birchbox products and she said her skin looked like trash. Yeah. So she's like, I went back to your products and now my skin's finally healing again. Yeah. So there's all of these products out there on the market that have junk in them yeah. and I don't understand why. Why the chemicals? Why the junk? Why the trash? Yeah. So that we can puff up our face for a day and as soon as you stop using it, you're going to look like, you know, a witch because yeah. your face skin's yeah. going to be wrinkly. Yeah. <laughs> smells good and better profit margins, right? Right. <laughs> right. Like, yes. Exactly. Yeah. That's uh forget. No, I think there's a Seinfeld episode when he goes, uh, uh, he goes, Che- uh, bad lighting and cheap prices. That's how you move product or yes, something like that. And it's exactly. just like trying to pull the wool over people's eyes. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it, the, the cool part is I think that you are, you are quality focused and I think we, that, that we share that. And, mm-hmm. um, so it's been cool. Tell me a little bit about, you know, I know you've done, you've done some, uh, shoots at the gym and I know mm-hmm. that you rely on a lot of the, 
you know, a lot of the women around the gym use the product and it's been something that's been yep. kind of cool to see that organic growth. Um, but you had said something earlier about getting honest feedback and, and mm-hmm. Allison and I touched on it a little bit last week, but, um, but I think that that's something that's so necessary and I would love for you to just talk a second, um, about, you know, how you maybe have used women in the gym, people who you feel like you surround yourself with, who you can fight in a little bit for that. And just kind of tell me a little bit about, you know, the, the process that you have for that honest feedback. Um, it's just conversation. Yeah. Just asking people, what did you think? Yeah. Um, and you need to rely on that people being honest with it because and you can't be afraid to get honest feedback because yep. that's you, if people are liking all of your products all the time, which is why I think there's so many people on those shows like American Idol because they go there thinking, oh, grandma loved my singing in church. Yeah. But you're really awful and no one's told you to your face that you're awful yep and so getting that feedback of you know like the other day this woman emailed me and it was the first one i've ever had someone ask for a return she's like well i ordered the bamboozle scent and i hate it yeah she's like can i get another one absolutely yeah that's my favorite one yeah so it just and it's like well you hate it and you love it or um for example you know well this product did not work for me it's not going to work for everybody. Yeah. No, everybody's going to like it. Yep. So it's just asking people questions and telling them it's okay to tell you if they liked it or hated it. Yep. Because, and I learned that lesson in college. I had two English professors. One literally was like pulling teeth to get a B from her. Yeah. And then two years later, same credentials, PhD, all that stuff. Loved everything I wrote. And so in that moment, I was like, wow, it really is just... Someone loves it. Someone hates it. And you yep. can't take it personally. It's, it's business. It's yep. not personal. Yep. If it doesn't yep. work, it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so much harder, I think, sometimes for small businesses because they, because it's you. I'm talking to you. I'm right. talking to the person who created it. <laughs> right. And so sometimes, and especially at the gym, it's like, I know Heather. I work out with her. We've been <laughs> friends. How am I going to, you know, broach that relationship? I think just like you said, I think that's a big part of the entrepreneurial maturity that you have to have. And I don't know if you were like me, but I struggled with it early with getting that honest feedback when people didn't like it. I was like, oh, really? Like, okay, we're working like really hard. Like I thought everybody would like it. But now, you know, 10 years later, you're just like, it's just not right for some people. Like, it's just not going to be some people's thing. Um, and, and did you ever struggle with that like early on? Like, has that always been something that you've just been able to kind of brush off and, and roll off the back of your shoulder like that? Or has that been something that's been a learned skill? I think, um, having that issue with being an English major in college and having, you know, stuff where your professor was like, well, this page sucks. So just get rid of it. Yeah. And then in grad school as well, same thing. Like this is terrible. Fix it. Yeah. Um, so I never really had a problem with it because, you know, in school, that's all you're told is this is terrible. Fix it. Delete this whole paragraph. Yeah. And my professor did tell me, she's like, it takes a lot of maturity as a writer to delete a whole page because you spent your heart and soul writing it. Yep. But they, that's not what they wanted. So just, just you know, be done yep. and move on. And I don't think it's fair when people feel pressure. Like, for example, and this is for everyone at the gym who's still listening. Yeah. Just because I create a skincare product and you know me doesn't mean you have to buy it. Yep. That's not fair. Yeah. That's not fair. Yeah. So if you want it, amazing. I'm here. Yep. Questions, I'm here to answer them. Yep. But it's not I don't, I don't care either way. Yeah. There's no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, I think mean, that's awesome. Yeah. And that's, I, I mean, I had a similar experience. I was a history major in my, my senior thesis. Uh, I had written a draft and I had turned it in, I guess, before anybody else had, had done anything. And my whole thing was like, I was ready to be done. As soon as I could knock this paper out, like I was ready to graduate. <laughs> so it was like, it was more just like, let's knock it out and let's get it done. 
But the professor had said, basically to me, what she was saying was, it's an automatic A. Is Basically, she said, you can turn as many revisions as you want, and I'll give you back all of my feedback. And so it's like, so I'm just going to turn in revisions continuously until there's just like zero feedback given. Or she says, okay, I think it's good. Because then if she's taking that, then it's like, okay, then it's an A paper. Uh, and so that was kind of my mentality with it. Uh, but I got the first feedback I got was the first time ever in, um, in undergraduate work that I had received the feedback of you need to chop this in half. And so I want to say it was like a 15 page requirement and she goes, okay, you're, you're, you have a 10 page requirement or under because I think I had turned in something like 19 pages and just like you do when you have a max, you know, you need to get to 15 pages, you ramble. And I found that that system, getting the numbers down that low, cutting out literally half of the paper, um, I found that to be like probably the most challenging experience of undergrad. But also it's something to me that still is very prevalent in all of my writing is I try to be so much more succinct. Is like, how can I take all of the um, you know, extremes of this sentence and just get it down to like just brass tacks as simple as can possibly be. And I think that that's been something that's been very, very beneficial to just even the CrossFit product or even intro sessions is like, don't, don't make it more than it needs to be. The literally the hardest workouts are the ones where people walk in. It's just like, Oh, that looks so simple. It's like, yep, you're right, it does. Like like we did one of the one that sticks out is the, the eight hundred meter runs and twenty dumbbell front squats for three rounds. Simple simple as can be. You look at that on paper, you're just like, oh, that's no problem at all. Just like unbelievably difficult. Um, and that's I think something that's that's so lost on a lot of people is that idea of simplify it. It's wrong because you're trying to do too much. Right just do something simple better right and i think that's a lot of what what your business is is you just took something and you just said why does it need to be so much why is there so much crap why does it need to be all this right. let's just make it simpler let's just make it better and do it the right way um so i think that's that's really cool um all right so where can they find you online okay or it's gem you can come up and talk to me but my website is polishme.com p-a-l-i-s-h-me.com nice um and everything's on there and the info at polishme.com is the email and it goes right to me yep so if you have questions yeah and then you do uh you do drop offs at the gym right i do yeah so if you guys are listening and you're at the gym, then you can just go ahead and order and do a drop off at the gym which is very nice very convenient awesome anything else to add I don't. Um, I think the only thing is that I would tell people over and over and over again is just don't be afraid to fail. Yeah. And don't be afraid to ask questions. So many people look at adults. I mean, little kids aren't afraid to ask questions. They ask the dumbest questions sometimes. That's why they learn. But it's like, you know, just ask questions. Don't be afraid to have someone laugh at you. Or um, even in that book, Originals, the reason why we all have the same mentality is because it starts early in school. You think a different way or you do something differently and you're reprimanded for it. And so many people learn to sit in their own space and don't cause waves. Whereas my interesting personality, if you will, I'm an INFJ. If anybody wants to look that up, it's like 0.8% of the population. 
Um, my, I had a teacher once say, you need to write bigger. I'm docking you for that. And as a fourth grader, in my mind, I was like, that's dumb. Yeah. Why are you docking me for the size of my print? Like, yeah. my whole life has been like that. So you have to kind of stay in your lane, focus on what you want to focus on. Yep. Don't be afraid to fail and ask questions. Yep. And that's it. And don't have an ego. Yeah. Lose the ego. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be so hard lined that like you can't take feedback from people. Yes, exactly. So, and that's I think one of the biggest things is ask questions and then shut the hell up. <laughs> I think that's the biggest thing. Just listen. And like you might not agree with the answer. You right. might not like the answer. Um, but take the answer at face value and learn from it and take away what you will. And be so. true to yourself too. I mean you can't you know, take 24 hours to think about it sometimes and think, well, maybe this is accurate. And, you know, don't be too hard on yourself. Yeah. What's the one quote where we all have to stay in our own hall of mirrors? It's true. We all have yeah. stuff that we do that's dumb. Yep. We all have personality quirks that piss people off. Yeah, for But sure. it makes us us. Yep. yep. And then you find your group and you hang out with them, the yep. people that want to be around you. It's awesome. And just do what you do. Yeah. I love <laughs> it. And so Maine's our next trip. Is that right? I don't, I don't know yet. I might, okay. actually, I might actually go out to Phoenix to visit um, Kristen, yeah, Kristen sure. Malone, and, yeah. and do some hiking out there in nice. uh, January or March. Yeah, I know so, they love it. They, that's become a huge passion of theirs. So. Yeah, so Katahdin yep. might be, um, there's a lot of snow out there, and I, I heard it's kind of sketchy in, in the snow, so maybe, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Colorado trip number two might be next. Nice. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. Maria hasn't stopped talking about it since. So I know. It's going to be fun. Cool. Awesome. I love it. Thanks, Heather. I appreciate you coming. Thanks.